Ever. Fundamentalist! Details? <laughs> I didn't discover VeggieTales till I was 22, and Silly Songs with Larry are my jam. It's the best. Way to totally blow the video with a fundamentalist chant at the end. And scene! <laughs> Hey friends, uh, we're glad that you decided to check out this episode of Trinity Radio, but we wanted to jump in right here at the beginning and say that we are not going to be featured on Trinity Radio. For the first time in history, Trinity Radio will not feature either myself or Dr. Jonathan Pritchett. Yay! Instead, we're going to be listening to two Trinity students, Nick Ham and Brandon Morris, and we're really excited about these guys. I, I am excited because it's about time other people do some work around here and I see perhaps a budding new podcast from these guys. Yeah. Who knows? But this will be the student edition of Trinity Radio. But we're really excited about them. They're going to talk about Christian zeal, and they're going to talk a little bit about their own testimonies. Uh, really listen through. Uh, it gets it, it gets really interesting as you hear their testimonies and then hear what they think about Christianity and the state of Christian scholarship yeah. and uh, other they're, stuff going on in the theological and, world. And they're very clever, very funny. They talk good things about me, which is good and you too and i'm happy to finally get a break because unlike somebody i haven't gotten a break yet so. and one of the wonderful things about them is unlike most theologians they actually read broadly and so we like that about them so listen attentively to this first ever student edition of trinity radio So it's here's, not heresy, it's, come on. No, it's Harris' son. Wow! They gave us nothing but tradition and no argument. All they did was get on this stage, yell real loud, and set a straw man on fire. Okay, now, this is, I, I, I was not impressed. <laughs> I, I've never heard of this gentleman before, but. And there is no evidence at all, except in the imagination of Dr. Braxton and like-minded thinkers that there is such a thing as an objective morality. All right, well, that was a very passionate speech by Professor Alvarez. However, let me point out a couple of things that I have not argued tonight that Professor Alvarez seems to think that I have argued. Everything that begins to exist must have a cause for its existence. On behalf of humanity, God became man to die for the sin of the world. Then, because of that sacrifice, you can rise from the dead just like he rose from the dead. Greetings, welcome to Trinity Radio Podcast. My name is Nicholas Ham, and with me today is... Brandon Morris. And we're here, well, quite frankly, we're not. Braxton Hunter and uh, Jonathan Pritchett, so... We are not nearly as good looking. And I'm really missing the beard. The wife just doesn't like it. So, yeah. Um, we're both fa big fans of Trinity Radio. Uh, we are both Trinity students. I'm a Trinity student specifically because of this guy. Without him, I probably wouldn't have ever heard of Trinity Seminary, and he really got me onto Trinity Radio before I became a seminary student. So, I told him to listen to Trinity Radio if he was considering coming to the college, because then you would kind of see where, where you stand. Dr. Hunter, Dr. Pritchett are kind of at in the general scheme of things. Um, you know, see if... Uh, they were worth learning under and seeing as we're both here still. Obviously, I thought so. Yeah, so. And it, I really uh, do recommend the, the seminary. I recommend Trinity to people who are looking, you know, to get a better education. Um, and if you really don't want to get a better education, you at least get a sort of better education by at least watching Trinity Radio. Yeah, as Pritchett says, it's the best Bible college and seminary in the whole world. So. Amen. Um, so who we are, um, kind of revealed that a little bit. Uh, my name, like I said, is Nicholas Ham. Uh, I've been an Oregonian my whole life. I live in Independence, Oregon currently. Um, yeah, I've spent my life in Baptist circles pretty much the whole time. I haven't really strayed from that. I'm CB Northwest. Uh, that's conservative Baptist Northwest for those of you that are not in the Northwest. Um, kind of member my whole life. I was raised in that uh, denomination, and I haven't really strayed too far from it. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everything theologically that they say. Um, their soteriology views are not 100% compatible with what I believe. Um, I've had struggles with that before, um, but it's not really, you know, it's not, it's not something we ever get into fistfights about, so I don't stress too much about it. Yeah, so 
Brandon Morris um, from Central California, now living up here in Oregon. I'm an EMT. I work on the ambulance, so if you call 911, you get me. Uh, and I just got to quit Starbucks today, which is super exciting. I was doing both jobs. Um, yeah, and working for a pagan company was a great time. And yeah, now my church, Jefferson Baptist Church, shout out, we are, my pastor asked me a few months ago if I wanted to stop making coffee and start making disciples, and I gladly accepted. So that'll start here in October. So, and what do you do? Well, I'm a non-emergency medical transporter. Uh, he takes them to the hospital. I bring them back home. Um, it's, I now work instead of for a, a just a kind of a general company that contracts for that. I now work for a single senior care facility. Um, very much small business ask. Um, it's been a very, it's been a blessing for me. Uh, it's very flexible. It afforded me the time to leave work early today to work on this a little bit more. It's afforded me the ability to, uh, really work on the youth groups and the curriculum that I've been developing for those shortly. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a great blessing to be able to carry my Bible everywhere. Um, and not really have a problem with that and be able to read my Bible. Really. If I want to just take a break and sit at my desk and read my Bible for 10 minutes, I can. So it's really awesome in that respect. Um, I'll probably not leave that job until I get an offer for full-time ministry. I'm still coming to grips with my jealousy for Brandon being able to now, uh, well, be able to work. He, well, part-time at least at, at building disciples. That's what I would love to do full-time, but here we are. Um, one of my goals um, is I'm going to Trinity to be, to be a pastor. Uh, my bachelor will be the pastoral ministry bachelor. I'll probably continue on with my master's at Trinity. I don't really have any plans of changing seminaries at this point. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about your goals. Yeah, I'm in the biblical, or what is it? So they changed it on you. Yeah, they did change it. Uh, apologetics and Christian theology is what I'll have my bachelor in which is super exciting. Um, I mostly picked it because it had a really long name and I thought that it looked distinguished. Um, not really. My goal, uh, my passion drive has always been evangelism. It's been reaching people, getting the gospel out to them, um, giving people the opportunity to repent and believe. And so, you know, I really admire people like Ray Comfort, um, Todd Friel, who go out and preach on the streets, who witness <laughs> on the streets, anything like that. Um, gospel guy of Salem. Yeah, the gospel guy in Salem. Uh, shout out to Tim Walter. Who knows if he'll watch this. We'll send it to him. He'll watch it. He'll watch it. <laughs> He's awesome. Yeah. So we thought it would be beneficial just to give um, a short version of our testimonies, just so you can kind of hear where we came from, um, kind of know a little bit better who you're listening to. So yeah, I grew up in central California and I grew up in meth houses. Uh, my dad started doing heroin, uh, intravenously when I was about two months old. Um, and shortly thereafter, my mom left him. Uh, unfortunately she got hooked on methamphetamine and so we lived in meth houses from the time I was about eight until I was about 18. So for 10 years of my life, I was living in that sort of um, environment. Environment, Thank you. And yeah, so spiritually, um, I remember my mom was high on meth or she was at least using, I don't know if she was high at that point, but she was standing in the front yard, screaming at the sky, yelling at God, um, and or yelling at Satan, anybody, just trying to get someone to answer her. She was just full of rage. And so that's the spiritual climate that I grew up in. And because of that um, upbringing, I was probably the most hateful person I've ever met in my life. Probably one of the meanest people I've ever met in my life. I used to... Um, retaliate really hard against anyone who picked on me. Uh, I fought everybody, fought my third grade teacher, uh, spent most of my school life suspended. Uh, I used to steal stuff, started 
smoking weed at age eight, started doing other things at age eight, which we'll leave out of the podcast for now, but I'd be happy to tell you more about it anyways. Growing up in that sort of environment, one day uh, when I was about 12, someone invited me to a Christian youth group. I didn't know what it was. They said, we're going to go play games. So I said, let's go. And when I got there, the adults just loved me so well, which was mind-blowing coming from a background of people just doing their own thing, just wanting to get high, just wanting to uh, get closer to the drug dealer that we lived with, um, you know, that no one cared about me. But now I come to this church and these people are loving and kind. They invite me to their homes. They help me learn how to drive, you know, stuff like that. And so I kept coming back in about 15. Uh, I thought to myself, you know, this is either real or it's fake. This Bible, this Jesus person is either real or fake. And I need to know, because if it's real, I need to pour my whole self into it. If it's fake, everybody needs to know. And these people are just wasting their time and I don't want to waste my time. So I joined a Bible study and primarily through, um, prophecy, you know, seeing the various prophecies in Isaiah, Daniel, uh, that are made about Christ and then them all being fulfilled perfectly to the date, to the T. I couldn't argue anymore. I said, all right, Jesus is who he says he is, but I was still confused about a lot of issues in the Bible. Who isn't except for Pritchett. Um, (laughs) just kidding. Um, so yeah, I joined a Bible study and is history. Yeah. Met your wife, moved up here. Yeah, the Lord moved me up to Oregon, kicking and screaming, just like he brought me into his family, <laughs> kicking and screaming. Uh, literally. Um, anyways, yeah, and you? I, I mean, I have a much more vanilla testimony, as Braxton and Pritchett would say. Um, God saving any soul is a miracle, <laughs> and I don't care if it's from a drug house not i mean it's still uh, amazing oh no yeah i mean I, there's still strength in my testimony it just isn't from a drug house I, w- I was raised in a church i was one of those babies that is born on you know a tuesday and they've got in there at church on the sunday um so i was raised in a small southern baptist church um in gresham that my grandmother had attended because um, my grandmother's a missourian so if it's not sbc then she, she doesn't think they're saved because she's crazy like that um I then went to, when that church collapsed, my parents started going back to church. They took us back to the church that they attended um, when they were high schoolers, um, which is where they actually met. I, my parents are married youth group sweethearts. So, I mean, that should give you an idea of the type of household I was raised in, at least. Um, for me, I mean, my testimony really, um, <clears throat> I, I choke up every time I read The Prodigal Son, because that's, that's mine. You know, I, I was the kid that knew better that then went out and made a mess of my life for no reason. I, I praise God. I didn't make as much of a mess of it as some others have. Okay. I, uh, I had a whole lot of head knowledge and not a whole lot of heart knowledge. And it really wasn't until I met my wife, um, which is his wife's best friend for like eons. Um, that's actually how we know each other. Um, that I really got a good glimpse of what the gospel looked like and, that my sin wasn't worse. I was the person that thought that I didn't deserve to be saved after I had done those things. I, I you don't. Well, you know what I mean by that. As in, like, I wouldn't accept salvation because I didn't think that I was... So reverse pride. Right. Yeah, I was the opposite. I, I was... I, I hate to say it, but in the Left Behind books, there's a girl that's like that. Mm. That's the, and since it's sitting right there, I can. that's what first came to mind. Mm. Um but yeah, reverse pride. I, I didn't think I des- I deserved to be saved because I had done such a heinous thing, which really wasn't in the law, grand scheme of things. Anyway, tangent there. Um, but, you know, my wife really pointed out, uh, you know, all sins are equal at the foot of the cross and all can be saved in that respect and such like that. So, um, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride. Um, I never thought I'd be on the path to be a pastor. Um, it was one of those things that kind of always been in the back of my mind. Um, but I was living in the materialistic world of how am I going to provide for a family on a pastor's budget? And 
you know, what does that even look like? And am I going to be able to have all the creature comforts that I want? And um, it wasn't until about eight months ago when in the middle of a car ride, my wife looks over me and goes, so uh, why aren't you training to becoming a pastor yet? And I go, uh, cause of you, uh, because I, <laughs> because I don't, I want to give you a certain quality of life that I don't feel like we'll get, you know, that, that was my re- selfish reason, terribly selfish reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was about two months, maybe two, maybe one month later that I rolled at my first class in Trinity after that. Um, so it was a pretty quick transition. And I, like I said, I'd always had the, the head knowledge in a lot of ways. I've been challenged a lot, which is awesome. Um, but, um, yeah, I want to do one caveat, um, kind of on that is that, you know, we're not the same as some of the other people on the forums, whereas we don't get so hung up on soteriology that we can't learn from reformed teachers. Um, you know, I was raised in a church that preached MacArthur a lot. A lot of our Bible studies used his materials. I don't find anything wrong with that. You can, that's perfectly fine. Um, you know, Piper, such like that. We know you're a Todd Friel fan and Justin, we both like Justin Peters and such like that. We can, the point is that we kind of right in the middle of that we can learn from these people even if we don't 100% agree with everything that they say. So we thought, just so you would get a better understanding of who we are, that we would talk about some of our influences. Um, I'm really into John Piper. Um, neither of us are Calvinists, actually. Nope. Um, but yeah, we're into people, I'm into people like John, John Piper, uh, Paul Washer, Francis Chan, Matt Chandler, uh, and David Wilkerson a lot now. And so I have a pretty good, I try to have a pretty good scope of people that I listen to. Um, one for different perspectives on uh, biblical issues, but also because I don't agree uh, with all of them um, on everything, which is a good thing, valuable. But, you know, like I said, I'm not Calvinist and, I'm not, I'm not Calvinist either. Um, that said, I'm not an Arminian either, but no. it depends. I don't know. It's something I've, I mean, like I was saying, I, I've only been at seminary now for eight months, and mm. I think it's fair to say that um, I'm allowing it to to kind of, I, I'm, I'm still searching for some of those answers, if that makes sense. Um, you know, like I was saying a moment ago, I went to a church that the pastor there currently graduated from master seminary. Um, he literally just graduated there. I'm looking at actually in March going to the Shepherds Conference. Um, I could possibly be getting a student scholarship to that, which would be really awesome because I don't have a lot of money for stuff like that. Um, and I mean, I also, I mean, Desiring God, John Piper's work, I think it's fantastic. A lot of it. He has some things that he's kind of, he's kind of out there on, but Mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm still going to enjoy a good, a good conversation with somebody about his work. Um, I mean, really into Mark Brown. Doctor or not Mark Brown, Doctor Michael Brown, really into James yeah, White. I like Michael Brown. I love both of them. Um, <laughs> I like both of them a lot. I used to not be able to listen to Doctor White. Uh, I still kind of can. I can just get past the uh, tone, and you know, he brings a lot of good things to the table, regardless of what some of us say. Looking at you, Pritchett. <laughs> So, this brings us to our topic. Uh, first of all, let's have a couple disclaimers. We're not as scholar, scholarly as Pritchett and Hunter. We're sorry. We don't have all of our sources in front of us. Um, we don't have as good of equipment. We are... Lacking doctorate degrees. Yeah, ain't that the truth. Undergraduate uh, students, so... Yep. The same quality you're used to in Trinity Radio, please do not expect that from us, because if you yeah. do, I'm sorry. It's and just not going to be 100% the same. And our goal is not to uh, beat up the church, beat up the bride. We want to be edifying. We want to be uh, building up the church. We want to spur one another on to love and good deeds. So our goal in talking about our topic will be that and... You'll have to forgive my nasally Californian tone. 
because the it, condescension is thick. it sounds so condescending <laughs> and i don't mean to i honestly have no idea but anyway so our topic is zeal and how to have it not only uh, what is it yeah so yeah sure um so the dictionary definition for zeal uh, it literally means to have a great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause. Um, for us, this is our definition, uh, especially looking at it biblically, uh, would be the heartfelt, passionate desire to pursue all that God intends for us. Yeah, so we look around and without having, or without trying to have such a huge plank in our own eyes while picking out a speck in our brother's eyes, we're saying we have this issue. We're part of the bride. We have this issue that... You know, we see it in ourselves. We see the worldliness pulling at us this way, but we see the Holy Spirit given desire to obey him and follow him, regardless of what that looks like uh, while remaining biblical. And so we're in this tension and we want to be all the way for what God has for us. We'll dig into that a little bit more. Um Later, first we want to address kind of why this is a problem. Um, lackluster theology and kind of a lack of zeal um, biblically can be defined uh, almost uh, synonymously with lukewarm Christianity. So if you're looking for kind of a Bible term to hang your hat on here on this, if you when you are studying lukewarm Christianity, they talk about it in Revelation, um, you see warnings against it throughout the New Testament, um, really on living out your faith rather than just you know professing to be a Christian and then not actually having any works to show for it. Um, in America, we, we see historically what happens when weak, weak theology uh, grasps the church. Um, so when you look at like the 18th century, you have these prolific speakers, you have this great revival and the great awakening movement throughout um, America, really. I mean, America is a very small place at that time, but still it, it's widespread at that point. Um, but then you move into the 19th century, um, and you have kind of this lull, um, where there's just not as much, you know, America is expanding westward and as it's expanding, there's just not as much zeal with the church and, and the fruits of that are, are actually disastrous and we still fight them today. Um, when the church is theologically disinterested, um, false teachers, cult movements, um, divided churches. You see more denominations um, splitting at this time. Um, it's really quite dangerous. One of the, a really quick Google search will pull up how many um, cults really form in the, in the 19th century. I mean, just the top four came to mind. Um, the American Unitarian Association forms 1825. The Latter-day Saints movement, Mormonism, it takes off, 1830. Jehovah's Witnesses take off in 1870. Uh, the New Thought movement, which really uh, Divine Science, Unity Church members like that, they take off in the 1830s. And a lot of these, especially like the LDS um, and the Jehovah's Witnesses, I know for sure, and a couple other of uh, less cultish denominations, really split out of the Baptist Church um, right about that time. So. Yeah, and so we see the issue with becoming lax, becoming casual, uh, regarding God in a afterthought. Yeah, you know, as an afterthought, kind of thinking of all these other things that we have, all these distractions that we have uh, before our relationship to Him, how we stand with Him, which we both believe we're justified by faith alone. Um, but we're saved unto good works. We're saved completely by him. Now that we're saved, we have a responsibility. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. Well, so, and it's what the thing is that we're seeing is that we're seeing the reflection of that today. Mm -hmm. um, so that same movement in the 19th century of, it's not so much, I mean, it is cults today. It really can be defined very similar, similarly to cults. I'm not going to, label them as cult that'd be a different video um but really false teaching mm -hmm. i mean is absolutely widespread today um and, and something we've discussed kind of personally along that you know it doesn't we can't say whether some of these people the individuals themselves that are the false teachers are saved or not 
but the doctrine that they're spreading, this false gospel that they're spreading, is deceiving tens of millions of people, really. And this is a global issue. I mean, just a couple of names. I mean, Joel Osteen, who has the largest church in America, I looked that up today, it's 43,000 weekly attenders um, attend Lakewood Church. That doesn't count any satellite campuses or anything like that. That's just Lakewood. It's 43,000 people. Um, you've got Kenneth Copeland, you've got Creflo Dollar, you know, and we said you can't exactly always tell if someone's saved or not. However, you can know a tree by its fruit and when they're bearing fruit for materialism, wealth, greed, the prosperity gospel as a whole, you know, the fruit is bad. It's not beneficial. And not only that, but it's spreading east Mm -hmm. and west because it's pushing its way into the china indonesia philippines area but it's also devastated africa in a way that we can't even describe we the numbers of people led astray are just going to be astronomical because in a society that is so impoverished when someone comes in and says if you follow jesus all these issues are going to go away (laughs) now give me your money right Right. So they think to themselves, yes, I want to have a good crop. I want my wife to stop having uh, miscarriages, give this guy his money because he's coming here in the name of Jesus, faking Mm -hmm. some miracles. Next thing you know, he's gone. Not only that, but my wife's still sick. My money is gone. Anyone who comes to me now in the name of Jesus, you're going to be hostile towards. I'm not going to listen to him. Absolutely. Stuff like that. So we see a detriment in these cults. We see detriment in these false teachers. And the way to combat bad theology is with good theology. Yeah, that's the thing. Without without this relaxed view of theology, without this kind of back-in-the-recliners type of, you know, afterthought Christianity that we have today— you know, these cult leaders and false teachers, they wouldn't have the same pull that they would have. I mean, if you, if Joseph Smith in the 1830s, I know different time period, but if he'd stepped into Jonathan Edwards' church, I feel like he might have been rebuked pretty quickly. I feel like there might have been, now he, you know, his church wasn't a perfect church by any means, but Mm. at the very least, you had a vocal pastor that would have said something. And instead, it's now, a, you know, it's all about the 11th commandment, which is, you know, thou shalt not judge as far as they're <laughs> concerned, which is not. Don't misquote me there. That's not what the, there is no 11th commandment in that in that sense. But that's the the joke amongst moral relativist circles, really. Yeah. So our goal is to figure out for ourselves and hopefully pass on to anyone else how to get more zeal, which I know you don't generally go to the store looking for zeal. Um, (laughs) But really, when it comes down to it, it's about knowing God. And if, you know, the Lord had said that many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy your name, cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So we can know a whole lot about God and not know him. So our goal is to not only know things about him, but also to know him and to be known. Cause he said, I never knew you. So the issue is also him knowing us, us being in relationship, covenant community. So how do we get that? And what's standing in the way? So this is going to be opinion time. A little bit. Yeah, there's still there's still some. I mean, Titus two eleven through twelve. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. I mean, this isn't necessarily just opinion. I mean, this is a command um, from God that we're supposed to be on alert for these things. By and large, we are not on alert for these things, or we are, and it's really just the ten percent of us that are just kind of hanging around after the sermon and we've had our coffee and cookies because we're Baptists. And now we're just going to, you know, talk about it a little bit and then we're going to get in our opposite cars and go opposite ways. And we'll talk about it again next Sunday for 10 minutes. Yeah. That's just not good enough. No, we're, we're trying to push away from what is commonly uh, 
called churchianity. You know, oh, yeah. we don't just want to be Sunday Christians. We read, you know, Acts and we see the disparity between the physical representation of the church as a whole. And I'm not, again, like we said, trying to beat up on the bride. We're trying to say, these are the issues. This is the speck in your eye. Let's fix it. Let's get it out. And so, you know, we read stuff like here in Acts 2, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So we want to see the church like that on fire. We want to see people saved day by day. We want to see God being glorified by saving wretched lost sinners. You know, we want to see unity. We want to see us loving each other. And when we don't see that, we want to say, let's get back to what God has intended for us. And I'm not saying we need to get back into uh, the, I'm not part of the home church movement, but you know, I definitely do see value in small groups. groups. Yeah, Yeah. obviously Uh, that's where they're at right there. And so, yeah, let's read that quote. Go ahead. Yeah, um, this is a Paul Washer quote, and uh, well, I share some of his stuff occasionally. I don't agree with everything he says, but um, it says, How is it that the gospel can move one man to wade through an army of opposition, to publicly identify with Christ in a deadly winter baptism, and yet in another man who confesses the same gospel, it has no power to make even the most insignificant changes in his life? I mean, if that's just... There's no way, in, in my opinion, I mean, you can look at it in James as well, that that you can really be identifying strongly with Christ, be regenerated in your spirit, living with the spirit, and not be living like that. And I'm, I'm not advocating for salvation through works. I want to be really clear with, about that. You know, salvation is through faith alone. It's through, you know, it's through Christ alone. But the evidence, the fruit, of that salvation should be should be glaring in your life and i know that's hard for some people but that's just the truth if you don't think that's the truth go read the book of james it's only like three pages it shouldn't take you more than 15 minutes yeah so we just want to get serious about things that god's serious about he's serious about discipleship he's serious about evangelism right he's serious about theology He's serious about himself and bringing glory to himself. So we want to be serious about those things as well. And not in a killjoy sort of way, unless your joy is found in carnal worldly means, then yes, we are killjoys in that (laughs) sense. However, we want you to find ultimate joy in serving God. We, We want to find ultimate joy in God, in being with him, in knowing him. And so... We recognize that the, I mean, that sounded arrogant. Yeah. We want to pursue what he has for us. And when we look and see the issues in the church and how that's not generally being met, it is being met. There are people who are a hundred times more sold out than we are. We're not saying oh, look at our lives not in least. and, you know, get a good picture of how this thing looks. However, we're working on implementing certain things in our lives in order to follow God more closely, in order to be more effective, in order to be better witnesses for him. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a process. It's always going to be a process to so the day you die. It's going to be a process. Anybody who thinks that they've, arrived needs to pray on that a little bit more because there's always something that you could cut out of your life. There's always something you'd be doing better yeah. at, as a Christian. Um, so let's get practical for a minute. Um, what can we do to be more zealous? I mean, the first step as with anything you should be doing is prayer. 
Um, for me, this is a personal struggle. I, I don't know why it is. It's, it's always been something that has been elusive for me, but I need to spend more time sitting in prayer. Um, you know, you need to pray for your family. You got an unsaved uncle or aunt, you know, you can't be telling me that you love them and not have shared the gospel with them and not have prayed over them, you know, and, and asking for someone in a prayer circle to, to pray for that need when you yourself haven't prayed that prayer. I mean, how, how selfish can that get? First of all, that's just a little pet peeve of my own that I was convicted of. And I've seen that now and realized how much of a problem that actually is. Yeah. Um, but it always starts with prayer. So something uh, God convicted me on huge about 10 months ago, um, longer than 10 months. It's been in the working, but uh, I joined a class at my church leadership class and we have a bunch of assignments that we need to do. We read good leadership books. We have to read our Bible every day. We have to pray every day. We have to pray with our wives a certain amount of times per week, three times per week. And then we have to make a whole bunch of goals that we want to meet, either ministry goals or just personal goals like working out or building something, things like that. Just something to start getting us disciplined because, you know, we're not disciplined by nature. Generally, most people aren't. And so the goal of the class was to just start the disciplines, just get into them somehow and then incrementally grow. So the illustration that was given to us was you don't just go out and start lifting 500 pounds, right? You start lifting 25 next week, you lift 30 two weeks after that you lift 25, right? Or not 25, whatever, five more <laughs> above it. Um, and you just incrementally grow. And something I wanted to share was um, I worked with a gentleman at Starbucks who was really into yoga, is really into yoga. And uh, by this time, I was already in the class. And, you know, he starts us off at 15 minutes of prayer. He says, we need to be moving past that. But each day, let's just start 15 minutes of prayer. So I was doing that. And, um, you know, there's quite a bit of issues going on with family, going on with ministry, marriage, you know, future kids um, that I want to see God intervene in. And so 15 minutes, I filled that up pretty easy. Um, and then I just kept adding two minutes, adding two minutes. Uh, so I got up to 19 minutes. And then uh, one day I was in prayer and I just felt like, you know, people say that God doesn't talk to people and that's fine. Um, but he tells me to do certain things pretty strongly with impressions, um, urges. urges, whatever, stuff like that. Things, especially when you know that it's something that's going to draw you closer to God, you can be pretty confident that it's him. Anyways, so I thought 19 minutes, double it. So I went to 38 minutes. And then I asked my friend at Starbucks, because I knew he was into meditation. And he, I said, how long uh, do you meditate per day? And he said, an hour. And <laughs> I thought to myself, it's a challenge. <laughs> so, no. So this man who, I'm not saying meditation is bad. I'm well, Eastern transcendental meditation is bad um, and opens you up to demons. Different story. Um, but if he can dedicate an hour of his time to sitting quietly, accomplishing just something for himself, right? He's not communing with God who created the universe, who says he will intervene in things. Uh, if we ask him, he's sitting on his own, not accomplishing anything of eternal worth, eternal value, and I can't do it for an hour. And I thought to myself, Brandon, what is wrong with you? My goodness. So at that point, I decided I'm going to pray for an hour each day. And that's that's what this is. This is my prayer journal. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I started off with... Uh, actually, I'm going to camp there for a minute. There's so many people in my life, in your life, in Nick's life, that are unsaved that have issues, they're struggling, hurting believers, right? There's people in our family that are unsaved, you know, our kids, we don't have kids yet, 
but we need to be praying for them. We need to be praying for our spouses. We need to be praying for our churches. We need to be praying for um, our leaders. We need to be praying. I pray for uh, Pritchett and Hunter. They're on my daily prayer list. And so I have um, about, I want to say 60 people that I pray for every day and it takes the whole hour. And again, I'm not wanting you to think, wow, this Brandon dude, super holy. No, I just, cause I'm, well, I mean, in a sense I've been made holy, but, um, anyways, we'll I get back to it. That. Yeah. yeah. So I have about 60 people ish that I pray for every day. And then I have over, um, about the same number, about 60 unsaved people or unsaved family members, um, or families that I know of that I've had some sort of interaction with that they don't know the Lord. Right. And if I believe that anyone who is apart from the Lord on judgment day is going to end up in hell, right. Which Mm -hmm. I fall into the eternal conscious torment camp. Um, even annihilationists, like if we believe that, we need to be doing everything we can in our power yes. to help bring those people to Christ. Yes, we Period. need to somehow do something. So first, like we said, prayer. Prayer is the number one thing that we need to be doing. And then... Um, well, I'll segue. Go ahead. Um, you know, because when I first heard him say this, this is before I really had started diving into this process of, of really personal discipleship. Um, one of my biggest things was, well, I don't, I don't have an hour a day, right? That's everybody's excuse, right? Well, um, the really obvious answer here is yes, you do actually have an hour a day. You have many more than that. Um, just again, quick Google search, the average American adults watching five and a half, like five and a half hours a day, um, of television, mm-hmm. um, about, about a month and a half ago now, I was struggling in one of my classes and I looked at my wife and I said, uh, hon, I'm going to unplug the TV. We're going to do a little TV fast. Um, I said five days, five days. We're going to, we're going to just unplug the fire stick. We're not going to, I don't have cable anyway, so it wasn't that hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found I was coming home from work and I was watching Hell's Kitchen for four hours. I mean, that just, I, and at the same time, my devotional is not getting done. My prayer is not getting done. Um, we haven't plugged it back in. We never, we never really talked yeah. about it. We never really came to a discussion about it. I said, we're taking this five day fast. And she said, okay, honey, you know, we'll go along with this because she's awesome like that. Um, and we just never went back to it. Um, so it really comes down to time management. You know, uh, Leighton Flowers talks about this all the time. You know, uh, Dr. White will call him out, you know, do you have anything else better to do? And he goes, well, I don't watch Sports Center anymore. So <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> I mean, what are you spending your time on? What What is taking your time away from God. And he, go ahead. Leonard Ravenhill says, yeah, you yeah. got eight hours of sleep. Yep. Eight hours of work, eight hours of whatever else in a day, right? Three, eight hour periods. Mm-hmm. We have eight hours. And you know, I get it. A lot of us have families. A lot of us have absolutely other, uh, engagements. A lot of you work eight hours a day and then go on to do ministry, which I applaud you for. But, any ministry that's done apart from the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be fleshly. It's not going to accomplish God's means. And if he does accomplish those means, it's going to be at your detriment. You're going to be burnt out. You're going to be tired. You're not going to be walking in the power of the spirit. You're going to be walking in the power of the flesh and you're just going to be so drained. And that's where pastor burnout or, you know, layman burnout, whatever kind of thing happens. So we have all this time, what are we going to do with it? So look, I mean, along those lines, it, it's really about killing your idols. I mean, we can go on a sermon for hours and hours and hours about it, idolatry and its biblical roots. And, and listen, anything you are placing above your walk with Christ, anything that you're placing more importance on over your walk for Christ is an idol. It's just as simple. And we don't like to look at it that way because... Well, I'll be frank with you. I liked playing my Xbox. I no longer own an Xbox because I liked playing it. And I, it was, again, it was one of those things. It was taking away from my time in, in the Bible, from time with my wife, you know, time doing stuff like this. 
my theological studies, my schoolwork, all that like that. I don't have any games on my phone anymore. I don't. I have like three Bible apps. I think that's kind of awesome that we can live in a time that I can have three Bible apps on my phone. Ray Comfort would say twenty six thousand. Good for Ray Comfort. Um, but anyway, I mean, it really it really puts that perspective of what are you spending your time on, mm-hmm. and that's your time is, is like the biggest is the best thing you can offer. To Christ, and if you're putting your time in the right spot, you're going to see better fruit in the long run. Mm-hmm. Period. I mean, you could be, you know, a theological giant. If you if you add more time, he's gonna he's gonna do better. You could be the most uneducated layperson, but if you start committing 15 minutes a day, and then 30 minutes a day, and then an hour a day, you give up Sports Center, you give up ESPN entirely, and then you give up television entirely, you're going to see great fruits come out of that dedication. Um, and that's really what we need to see. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to go that way? I'll go. Um, the next point we have along those lines, um, it actually comes from a friend of ours. Um, we have another mutual friend who's really been on the spiritual walk with us as well. Um, Michelle, who is currently, is she in Jamaica now or is she'll be heading out soon? I know she's heading out. I know it's less than a month. She'll be heading out to Jamaica to do some training, and then she's heading to West Africa. Yeah, West Africa. Yeah. Um, One of the things she told us um, that she'd been working on was having more meaningful conversations, Um, and fellowship really ties into that as well. Um, You know, we spent a lot of time talking about the weather. We spent a lot of time talking about car troubles. Things that don't matter. Things that are not eternal. That your soul is eternal. You're, I mean, you, if you're beating around the bush, not sharing the gospel with somebody, well, then, I mean, what, what are you here for? I mean, my wife recently has, has complained to me on a couple of occasions because she's like, honey, can you just not bring your Bible to that family event? You know, it's a family reunion. Can you just kind of relax for a while? Because it's her family, not my family. And I looked at her, I go, so you want to muzzle me? No, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring the Bible and we're going to talk. And I, in all of those instances when I've had that, um, I've had awesome conversations uh, with some new believers and some skeptics and, mm-hmm. and, you know, maybe some people who were just a little bit lukewarm that mm-hmm. needed a swift kick in the hind end. And, you know, if that's what it takes to help convict somebody to do the work, then that's what it takes. You know, you're going to hurt some people's feelings every now and then, but... Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that didn't stop the apostles. They, they hurt a lot of feelings. And they won a lot of souls. Yeah, something I want to be passionate about, something that, I, that God's growing that in me, is evangelism. First of all, it needs to be every believer's passion. Absolutely. Um, if we are not concerned with the Spirit of the other people's souls, mm-hmm. there's an issue. We're not being loving. We're not being kind. If God is willing to come down from heaven, leave his glory, his throne, and then come down to earth, right? Think of the distance he traveled just in how much he was humbled, right? Going from crowned in glory, sitting on the throne, right? To being a baby in a manger, Think of that distance that was traveled. Now, why can't I go downtown (laughs) and just spread the gospel and share the gospel with people? And that was something God convicted me of. So I started doing some street witnessing. Um, I haven't gotten to street preaching yet, you know, soapbox preaching. But (laughs) I just go stand out there and I talk to people. I hand tracks away because I get it. You know, evangelism is scary. But think of what they're facing. Like we need to be praying for compassion. We need to be praying for boldness, right? We need to be praying for love for the lost. Cause if God infuses that in us, and if he gives that to us, be granted to us, then we will be 10 times more effective, right? We'll actually go out and do things. We'll actually lead people to Jesus. And so I don't even know, you know, people throw out numbers, but I heard that, um, the average believer leads zero to one people to Christ (laughs) in their entire life. Right. And so if Christ says that when a seed, um, sorry, 
I'm mixing up my verses, but basically we're supposed to be multiplying 30, 60, 100 fold mm -hmm. each, right? If that's not happening, we need to really take a step back and consider, do I know God in the way I say I know God, right? If, if the Holy Spirit has impacted me to the point, or if he's not impacted you to the point that you don't care that other people are dying and going to hell. You need to do a reassessment. We need to do a reassessment. And that's Absolutely. where the whole TV thing with us came in. You know, we couldn't, I watched the office and I got physically sick 20 minutes, right? And I used, I've watched the entire office multiple times I every season. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't every make it all season. Um, and I can quote it, which is a shame because I can't quote half my Bible. Right. But I could spend 20 minutes while or watching TV or two minutes or 20, two hours watching a television show while at that time my brother was unsaved. Praise God. Now that he, now he's a Christian, he's a believer, right? He repented, he believes, and now we're working on growing that yep. um, discipleship. But how much time have I wasted Right. And I did a time assessment just on myself with one certain video game that I used to play. I had 750 hours on one single character in that game. And I thought to myself, what if I devoted that time to prayer? How much better would I know God? How much more would he have done? How much more would he have intervened in my life and in my family's life who's unsaved? Me and my brother are the only Christians in our family. My grandma is enslaved to Jehovah's Witnesses. My mom is still an alcoholic. Um, and I don't know where my sister stands, but um, stuff like that. Like, how can I watch TV? How can I waste time on anything? You know, it's not just me. Like, um, or it's not just TV, but like TV, phones, guitars, so we have all these things that we devote so much time to when the world is perishing. And we really need to ask ourselves, do we care? Do we care? Do we love people enough to pray for them at least, right? Not even saying anything about evangelism. We need more bold evangelists. We need more people to go stand on the corner. We need more people to talk to their people or talk to their coworkers, their family, their friends, talk to them, just start talking and, you know, obviously get trained a little bit. I would recommend yeah. apologetics uh, helps. Yeah. I would recommend, uh, watching some of Ray Comfort's videos, uh, watching, uh, basically a lot of the stuff in living waters is going to be very helpful for evangelism. Um, I like Todd Friel's street evangelism. He's very kind and patient with people and he's always uh, biblically faithful. He doesn't insert his Calvinism into it, you know, so get some sort of training, but just start talking to people. And if you're praying and asking God for a heart, for compassion for the lost, he will grant that to you. And who knows, you may have some fruit. So I started praying for my brother months ago mm -hmm. and now he's saved. And we all pray for your brother. Yeah. We had a lot of people praying for him and guess what? God moved his hand and now he's saved. So just think about, you know, it, it would be beneficial if next time you went to turn the TV on, you thought, th just think about your unsaved family. Think about your unsaved family. Think about your unsaved friends. If I can interject one more, I, Jeff Durbin. Yeah. Jeff Durbin is one of my favorite street evangelists to listen to. Um, yep. Around here, I mean, Mormonism is a rampant cult in the West. It may not be as big of an issue um, in your neck of the woods as it is in our neck of the woods. Um, but I've had multiple encounters uh, with Mormon missionaries and I've had multiple, you know, I've had scores of friends um, growing up in school. Like, I mean, they, they get to go to seminary as an elective in high school. I don't know if that happens in your neck of the woods. It happens in mine. Um, where they literally walk across the street one period a day and go to seminary and come back. And that was bearing fruit amongst our classmates. I saw classmates who were weak in their theology get sucked into that. And there was nothing I could say to them that was 
convincing them because I didn't know how to fight it. Um, so watching his stuff, Jeff Durbin is another one that is amazing about with the amount of love he's able to express mm -hmm. with the diversity of a crowd that he's witnessing too. And yes, again, he's a Calvinist, but you don't see that in the videos. What you see is you see the love and compassion for the lost sinner. What you see from that is a strong apologetic argument, sometimes presuppositional, sometimes classical. And you see, really, you see fruit from it. He's had some mm -hmm. fantastic exchanges with Mormons that have then come out of that. So, I mean, it, I just wanted to add that, that there, yeah. there's more teachers and he's one that I highly recommend if you're first, if you're just starting to look into, um, you know, apologetics to use with Mormons yeah. in so, particular. They're, they're a special part of my heart, so I have to put that in there. And we recognize not everyone is a street evangelist. He's not a street. No. Like, he hasn't gone out with me. That's just something that God put on me and said that if you don't do this, you're going to die. Yeah, my heart's um, discipleship. I, I like raising up other people to yeah. do what he does. And I sent him a verse the other day uh, that said, look, we're in Second Corinthians where... You know, Paul says, uh, is Paul, is Apollos anything? Is yeah. Paul anything? You know, he who plants and he who waters is nothing. It's right. God that causes the growth, which is why we recognize that prayer has to be central. Absolutely. And so, you know, some, some of you guys are going to be planters, seed planters. Some of you are going to be waterers. seed waterers. Some Absolutely. of you are going to be harvesters, right? And, um, but you have to be available. Yeah. If you're if you're not available, maybe you were the harvester for that seed that's been growing there on its own for so long, mm -hmm. but you were too in tune with your ESPN that you didn't go out and, and reap yeah. that. So what we want to do is encourage you to be bold, to pray and being bold is not uh in everybody, but you can pray for that. Peter prayed for it, Paul prayed Absolutely. for it. So pray for it, ask, right? Make a list of people that you want to see saved. And start praying over it every day. Uh, my pastor says seven for heaven. It's corny. We're Baptists. Leave me alone. <laughs> um, seven for heaven. Get get that list. Start praying over them. Right. Watch God move His hand. And if you're not a street evangelist, buy some tracks. Right. Just hand them to people. Plant them places. I can tell you two people. Uh, there's hundreds more, thousands maybe. I'm sure uh, that have been very impactful. Uh, for the gospel, for the kingdom of God. But two, um, primarily, that are some of my favorite people are Hudson Taylor, right? The man who founded China Inland Mission mm -hmm. in the 1800s, I want to say. Yeah, um, that sounds right. Yeah, Hudson Taylor picked up a track in London and got saved right there. And how many thousands have been led to Christ just through him, right? Greg Kokul from Kokul? I don't know how you say it. From Stand to Reason, he got saved from a track, Right. People get saved from tracks, and some pe people will rag on them. Some people will rag on street evangelists, you know, but doing something um, is better than nothing. Yeah, I mean, and that's a slippery thing to say, <laughs> kind be. of, because I know what you're saying. You know, what people, Westboro Baptist probably says the same thing. Probably not, actually. No, they would. But, you know, D.L. Moody said that. Um, you may not like my way of evangelism, and frankly, I don't either sometimes, but I like my way of doing evangelism better than your way of not doing evangelism. You know, so let just start doing something. Pray, ask about that, start implementing a daily Bible and reading, or Bible reading and prayer time. Start with 15 minutes, but make the commitment to get it every day, and then progress, and you'll mm -hmm. see the fruit absolutely skyrocket in your life and you will know God better. You will be so much more fruitful, so much more beneficial. And, um, another quote from Penn Jillette, um, <laughs> who is not a theologian. No, no, he's very much not a theologian. Ardent atheist from, uh, Penn and Teller. You may know him, uh, said something along the lines of, this is Brandon paraphrase. Um, if you really believe that people are going to hell, dying and going to hell every day, and that you have the answer, Christian, in Jesus Christ, how could you not tell them? I, he I said would this say, in tears. 
Did he? Yeah, in his, in his original video, he was talking about this because a guy had come up to him after a show and had given him a tract and had given him a Bible. Mm. Um, and he was talking about this. He's like, listen, there's, he's like, I get it. He's like, you believe there's a bus that's going to run me down. Mm -hmm. And you, in being consistent with your faith, love me to the degree that you're going to step out into that discomfort to, to try and push me out of the way of that bus. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I, I use that with the youth group all the time because it's, it's, you know, Mm -hmm. it, it is the only logical conclusion to our faith. You have to spread the gospel. I don't want to end your no, no, your soapbox. That's but, probably a good pause um, there, anyways. Listen, we understand that not everybody is the most comfortable. Like we said, we have all different roles. Um, but even evangelist needs training, right? Um, part of this meaningful conversations is the fellowship aspect, um, and fellowship is critically important to the growth of a Christian. And it, really, for in my opinion, fellowship can't just happen on Sundays. You need to have Christian friends. You need to have, you know, a community of believers who are going to help you be accountable. They're going to help you grow in your faith. They're going to challenge your doctrinal views. And that's only going to happen in a small group. I mean, unless you're at seminary. If you're at seminary, then you're in like five small groups at once. They're called classes. Um, but the, the thing about that is, you know, I, I go to a church. I go to a city. There's, I, we, I live in a college town. And there's like 18,000 people. You know, it's kind of a medium-sized little city. For around here, it's it's an okay-sized small town, right? But I've got, I don't know, nine churches in this small town, kind of the bigger ones. There's a couple of smaller little rinketing ones. But there's no college ministry, which baffles me. We're, we've got a, a community church that's a block from Western Oregon University that doesn't have a college group. Um, and I'm a college A student. I mean, I'm, I'm 23 years old now. I'm not, I'm not like, you know, I'm not getting gray hair. I mean, I am, but that's irrelevant. Um, if there's no small groups available, step out and lead one. Even if it's just going through somebody else's curriculum, you planting those seeds that you're going to find a better leader than yourself. If it's, if it's not there. And if you have the capacity to lead, no one's leading in your church then what are you doing? We're called to step out and do that type of stuff and to help disciple people. I mean, for me, that's my calling. I love to help people who have questions find the answers. He loves to go out and to get them, which is awesome. And I love to do that too. But then, then they send them to me and then I'm going to help them build their faith. That's where my passion is. And if you have that same passion, then you need to be plugged in. You need to be using that passion. One thing uh, that I think a lot more people could be doing is reaching out to the colleges. Uh, I live near two colleges, uh, one being Oregon State University, uh, which is about 11 miles from my house. And then I live pretty close to another uh, community college. And when I've gone to that community college just to talk to people and spread the gospel however I can, um, I took a 90 ounce thing of Starbucks coffee, wrote <laughs> free coffee on the side of it, sat down and had some of the best witnessing opportunities I've ever had. Uh, kids just sat down and talked with me for an hour and a half, you know, kids who are ardent atheists, who are, um, you know, against Christianity, uh, who just all sorts of everyone across the spectrum and they're willing to listen you know, and I don't know if it's a uh, age thing, age thing where they're willing to listen to another millennial, or whether they're, um, you know, just there at the college and in more of a learning environment, anyways. But yeah, that's a great place to go, a great witnessing opportunity, and most college campuses uh, won't kick you off um, as long as you behave. Yeah, behave. Try to blend in. I mean, the sidewalks are public property, so. That's yeah, always, there's that. Always something else. So, the end results of having more zeal. Church growth, right? We're going to see more people get saved. We're not just talking about numbers of people sitting in the pews. Um, 
We're talking about new growth, not transfer growth. Yeah. yeah. Transfer growth does nobody, well, I mean, unless you're getting better discipleship, it does very yeah. few people good to see good transfer growth in your church. Mm-hmm. New growth is, is where the roots are really being yep. laid. So we're going to see people get saved. We're going to see ourselves be transformed and bear more fruit, Absolutely. which what a joyful thing that is. Just like, I am not, I, I, I frequently tell people that I'm the worst person I know. Um, I'm the worst person he knows, you know, but no, I'm the worst person <laughs> I know. Don't give me know? that one. <laughs> so, but seeing where God's brought me from, like I said, in my testimony, I was like one of the worst people I've ever met in my entire life. I should have been dead many times. I should have been in jail many times. I was arrested twice, uh, tried to kill myself at 12, that kind of thing. And like seeing where God has brought me now, again, not a poster child, but being sanctified, that sort of just joy of being blown away at what God has done. Cause it's not me. I haven't, um, you know, efforted my way into the kingdom of God. I haven't efforted my way into God growing me. I just pray and say, God, grow me. And he does. And he lays things on my heart that if I don't, if I'm not obedient to, I feel like there's a weight in my chest that's pulling me down because I know I'm being disobedient. Mm -hmm. And don't ever kill that. Don't ever kill that because then you're dulling your conscience and um, I did that for far too long and I don't want to do it anymore. Well, you're so, attempting to mute the spirit is what you're doing. Quenching the spirit. Absolutely. Hallelujah. So, yeah, I mean, at least a more biblical living in our lives, which I mean, more fruit of that is going to be improved relationships. I mean, you and I are a great example of that. Relationships. It's not only, you know, between friendships and your community. It's also, you know, with loved ones, you know, with my wife and I, the closer we get to Christ, the closer we're going to get to each other. It's the whole triangle principle they teach you in premarital counseling. I have no idea how it wasn't raised in, in churches. <laughs> Basic, basically, you can picture this big triangle, and the closer you and your wife get to God, the closer you two are getting together. Oh, that's so silly. It's so perfect. It's like VeggieTales. <laughs> I didn't discover VeggieTales till I was 22, and Silly Songs with Larry are my jam. It's the best. Yeah. Anywho. Anywho. So I didn't really know just, Jesus loved me. That song, Jesus loved me. This I know. So I was 18, and so like I get to rediscover all these, or discover first time all these have kids. Yeah. Well, no, they're not going to watch. <laughs> oh, no don't. TV for them. Oh, whatever. Fundamentalist. Yeah. Anyways, please continue. Wait, I totally blow the video with the fundamentalist champion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you have improved relationships, and then you have a really a Christ-centered community, and that's that's going to be the church body. That's going to be the small groups, whether you're leading them or whether you're a member of them. I encourage you to be both. I would love to be a member of another small group. Unfortunately, we don't have one yet that I'm not going to be leading that I apply to because I just don't I don't fit in the other subcategories. So, but soon, soon we will. So, friends. Brothers, sisters, it's time to get serious. Go put down, pray. Put down your TV remote. Pick up your Throw box. it out the window. Put Do something. Your television. Yeah. If you would like more content, click here. And keep watching Bible Studies. Click up here. And finally, we want you to subscribe. We need more subscribers. So click here.